We will continue today as we started last week in Mark chapter 3. Um, we'll go back to it and think some more about it. Um, I'll do that. I'll read it in just a moment. But I wanted to start by saying this. Um, when Jesus called me to be his disciple when I was 10 years old, uh, all I knew was that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus to save me from my sins. That's, that's all I knew. And uh, someone once told me years ago that being a, a disciple is basically bringing all that you know of yourself and resting it in all that you know of Jesus. Bring all that you know of yourself and rest it in all you know of Jesus. And that is true as you grow in your knowledge of yourself and in your knowledge of Jesus. So um, knowing myself is an ever-growing knowing. And knowing Jesus is an ever-growing knowing. So it's always true that I'm to bring all I know of myself and rest it on all that I know of Jesus. And after 40 plus years of trying to do that, know myself and know Jesus, um, I've found that Jesus had more in mind uh, at 10 years old that I didn't know. He, more than forgiving me, he had in mind to form me. Um, and that's what he's been doing be it ever so slowly, uh, for over 40 years. And even this week, I was convicted by Mark um, about how I have, in my continued pursuit of knowing Jesus, have tried to know Jesus um, in a way that uh, makes Jesus become something that he's not. Uh, and so... By doing that, I, I am being like the Pharisees in Mark. I'm being like the crowds who wanted healing in Mark. And I'm being like the demons in Mark. So let's look at Mark 3 again together. And I'm actually going to back up to verse 1. Um, the rest of Mark 3 is in your bulletin. But I want to back up and look at... Mark 3, and, and think about, as we read through this, think about how these three groups, the Pharisees, the crowds, and the demons, um, came to Jesus, and how they wanted to know him as something that he is not. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they scribes and Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, 
stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew to his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for, for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many. And so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boernages, I think. I've was told by an old preacher one time, if you don't know how to pronounce the Bible names, just say it loud and like you know it, and nobody will know the difference. That is the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would come and show us Jesus. 
And at the same time, though it's painful, we ask that you would expose in us uh, the ways that we try to know him on our own terms. Um, Would you do that in us so that we can know him truly the way he wants to be known? Uh, Help us to understand a little bit more about what that means today. (laughs) We certainly won't understand it all. But would you take us another step closer to him? Um, Open our eyes a little bit more to see him today and to want him, to love him, to trust him, to follow him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I said that one thing that Jesus has been showing me through Mark this week is that though I've wanted to know him more over the past 40 years, I have in many ways wanted to know him in a way uh, that I would make him become something that he is not. Um, I try to customize and civilize him. And so as I read Mark 3 again this week and, and just tried to meditate on it, I, I see myself in the Pharisees. I see myself in those crowds that wanted healing. I see myself in the demons, even. Let me explain. Let me see if I can invite you into my conviction. Um, The Pharisees wanted to know Jesus in a way that would make him something he's not. They, I think Nathan told us a couple of weeks ago, well, they wanted a, a Messiah who would validate their efforts to be right and holy. Um... They wanted a Messiah who would play by the rules, but he wouldn't. Um, they had, the Pharisees would build their own hedge of protection around the commands of God, around the Ten Commandments. So in order not to break one commandment, they created all these hedges, these other rules, these man-made laws to keep them from breaking the law of God. But in the process they began to break the heart of the law, which is loving God and loving others. They got so caught up in keeping all of their hedge rules that they ended up breaking the rule itself. So instead of loving God and others, they focused on keeping rules, which was really about loving themselves and being holy before God and others. They were trying to get God to love them by the way they lived moral lives. Um, And I've I've done that uh, not only in seasons of my life, but in some ways my whole life. uh, Tried to relate to God as if he's just a moralistic God. That uh, if I can be good, good enough... God will love me. Um, and that's, that's how a lot of our culture relates to him. Um, it's just like any other religion. We think Christianity is just about being good, being good little boys and girls. But Jesus comes along and he shows the Pharisees, you can't be good enough. In fact, you don't know God as well as you think you do because he's more holy than you can ever imagine and you're more sinful than you would ever dare dream. 
And if you knew the holiness of God and the sinfulness of yourself, as holy as you think you are, you would fall on your face and beg for mercy. You see, Jesus um, will not allow us to know him in a way that makes him something he's not. But he wants to know us in a way where he can make us something we're not. He wants to make us good. And he will. In his way. So I'm like the Pharisees. But I'm also like these crowds. Mark said that they followed Jesus. That they came to Jesus. So they were seeking to know him. But they wanted to know him in a way that would make him something that he's not. They wanted to know him as a healer who would take away their problems and their pain. Legitimate thing to... Who wants problems and pain, right? Nobody. So it's a legitimate desire. Take away my problems and pain. But Jesus wanted them to know him as more than someone who could take away their problems and pain. Remember the story that Mark said and Mark told in chapter 2 about the paralyzed man who was lowered down from the ceiling. He came as one of these people for Jesus to take away his problems and his pain. And Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. This is not what I came here for, Jesus. Jesus wasn't against healing him. He did that afterwards. But Jesus was trying to say there's, there's another problem and there's a deeper pain that needs to be healed, and that's what I've come to do. Um, I didn't come just to heal you. I came to make you whole and to make you holy. So Jesus wants more than my healing. He, he wants to make me whole from the inside out. He wants to make me holy from the inside out. And that means that he's going to want to put his finger on the problem and the pain that's deeper than anything else because it's not just the problems and the pain that come from outside me, from my circumstances, or from what other people have done to me. My biggest problem and my biggest pain comes from what I've done to other people and how I've related to God. So I'm like the crowds. But I'm also like the demons. The demons fell down before Jesus and they accurately confessed, you are the Son of God. And, and that happened several times we saw last week, several times in Mark chapters 1 and 2. The demons knew who Jesus was. They wanted to declare who Jesus was, and he would shut them up and send them away. They knew him only as their judge. They knew who Jesus was, but they didn't love him for who he was. They knew who Jesus was, but they didn't adore him. They didn't worship him. They didn't want to follow him. They knew accurately, intellectually, who Jesus was. But they did not want any kind of interpersonal relationship with him. And I think that's a lot like me sometimes. I'm very deistic in a way. You know, deism is that religion that says God created everything, set it into motion, and then stepped back, and he has nothing to do with it personally anymore. 
I'm a lot like that sometimes. I want God when I need him, um, but most of the time I know him, I know about him, but I don't really want to know him personally. I want to keep him at a distance. So I, I think I was convicted this week that this is part of what Mark's doing, I think. He's kind of showing us these pictures of these ways of coming to Jesus, these ways of trying to know Jesus that will try to make Jesus become something that he's not. But if you remember, in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus called his first disciples, he said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So when Jesus calls people to come know him, when Jesus calls us to come follow him, he doesn't call us to come and make him, some, make him to become something he's not. He calls us to know him so that he can make us become something that we're not. And that's where I've wrestled this week because he's really working on me <laughs> in uh, very uncomfortable ways that I'd rather him leave me alone. I'd rather him stop trying to make me something that I'm not. And Mark makes this point again here in chapter 3. In verse 13, he sa it says that Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And as I thought about that this week, I, I sensed that the Spirit was saying to me through Mark, the point is, Jimmy, you don't come to Jesus on your own terms with your own agenda. Jesus comes to you. <laughs> you come to Jesus on his terms and according to his agenda so that he can make you become what you are not. Jesus is a carpenter. And uh, he is still doing some major renovation work in me 40-some years later. So what is it that he wants to make us become? Last week, we just looked a little bit at um, that Jesus is the king of a new creation. So he wants to make us new creations. The old has gone, Paul said. The new has come. So we talked about that some last week. But this week, I want us to see that I think Mark wants us to see that Jesus is also the king of a new community. Jesus is trying to work in us to make us become new creations who live in a new community. Where do I get that? Look at Mark chapter 3, verses 13, starting in verse 13. And look at the parallels between what God did with and for Israel. I'll remind you that in a minute. And what Jesus does here in Mark 3. So, think, remember with me that for Israel, God called to himself a people that he desired. 12 tribes, and they came to him out of Egypt into the wilderness. And Moses, after doing signs and wonders, which were miracles that he did to confirm that he was God's messenger and God's mediator, Moses led them to a mountain, Mount Sinai. Now, now look at Mark chapter 3. 
Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from all over the place. Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. This is not just the people of Israel. This is a new people of God that includes people from, as Mark describes, from north, south, east, west, Jews and Gentiles. Jesus is calling those whom he desires to himself. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, in other words, when the great crowd heard all of the signs and wonders that Jesus was doing, all of the miracles that confirmed that he is God's messenger, that he is God's mediator, they came to him, just like the people came to Moses. And Jesus, verse 13, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed 12, not tribes, but apostles. Hmm. See that similarity of the old community and the new community? Let's go back to Israel for a minute. On Mount Sinai, God established a covenant relationship with Israel with laws, the Ten Commandments, that prescribed how they should know God. They should know God by loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's commandments one, and, one through four. It also prescribed how they should make his love known by the way they related to people. That's commandments five through ten. So Moses calls the people to Mount Sinai and tells them how to be with God, knowing him and making him known. Listen to what Jesus did in Mark chapter 13, uh, 3, verse 13. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and know him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. This new Israel is to be built on the 12 apostles, and it is also a community that is to know God, be with him, and to make him known, to be sent out, to preach, and to have power, to declare and demonstrate that King Jesus has come, to proclaim and practice the kingship of Jesus. So this is the new community that God is calling, and he's called us to be a part of. And in this new community, Jesus is going to continue his carpentry work. He's going to continue to make us new creatures, new creations, who love like he loves in his new community. Do you remember John 17 when Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified? And he prayed for the church, he prayed for the disciples, but he prayed for us as well. I'll remind you, John 17, Jesus said, Father, I do not ask for these only, the 12 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, almost 2,000 years later. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us to enjoy the community of fellowship with the Trinity so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He prayed that we would know God intimately and make him known to the world. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus prayed that we would know God and make him known by relating to one another the way the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to one another. What? That's crazy. But God is the God of the impossible. That's going to require some extensive renovation. It's like you, you join the house of God... It's like one of those shows on HGTV. They always find more problems than they thought they would find when they get in there. Well, that's what it's like to be a part of the church. Welcome. You always find out when you join, when you get in, there's more problems here that need to be dealt with than I originally suspected. I mean, look at the list of the apostles he called, okay? Let's look at these guys. This is what he had to work with. Peter, who promised that he would die for Jesus, but because a servant girl recognized him as one of the followers of Jesus, he denied Jesus three times. That's bold and brash Peter, who would do anything. And a little servant girl says, weren't you with him? No, no, not me. Peter, James and John, the sons of thunder, uh, the sons of thunder who... Uh, who one time said to Jesus when there was some opposition from some folks, they said to Jesus, hey, Lord, you want us to call down fire on these people? Um, these are the same two brothers who once asked Jesus, uh, Lord, and we'll get to it later in Mark, Lord, we, will, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus, okay, I'll bite. What do you want me to do for you? We want you to put us at your right hand and your left hand when we enter into your kingdom. Another one of the gospel writers tells us that they actually got their mommy to ask Jesus this. Sons of thunder. How about Thomas, who wouldn't believe until he could put the fingers of his hand into the wounds of the resurrected Jesus? How about Matthew, the tax collector who worked for the Roman government, and Simon the Zealot, who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Two different political parties. It's like we've got Alabama and Tennessee fans in this room right now. There could be trouble. That's Matthew and, the and Simon the Zealot. And then, of course, there's Judas Iscariot, who pretended to be a disciple, but ultimately betrayed Jesus. How? How did Jesus, knowing who Jesus, uh, Judas was on the inside, how did he love him? How did he serve him? I, I don't get it. But this, this group of guys, they all denied him, they demanded from him, they disbelieved him. These are the 12 apostles on whom Jesus will build his church. And we are their heritage. Uh, this new community is a mess. And we're just like us. We're just like them. Um, but look what Jesus did with these guys. Look what Jesus did to make these guys new. Peter went from loudmouth leader 
among the disciples to humble second fiddle to Paul. You would have thought by reading the Gospels that Peter was going to be the dude who had had the biggest splash in the church in the future. But along comes, along comes Paul later. And really, Peter sort of takes the second chair to Paul when it comes to who has all the books of the New Testament written, who gets the most attention. How did loudmouth Peter become humble Peter? Peter went from fearful to admit that he knows Jesus to a little servant girl to the bold witness to the preacher who preached and one day was in prison, uh, several times was imprisoned and one day was crucified because he preached the gospel. And he was so humble, he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, so he requested that they crucify him upside down. How did he change into that man? How about John, the son of Zebedee, who was one of the sons of thunder, who wanted to call down fire on sinners, remember? How did he become known as the apostle of love? How did he become known as the one who wrote the verse, for God so loved the world, sinners, that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish by the fire of God's wrath, but would have everlasting life. John, who went from the self-seeking, self-promoter, wanting to be at Jesus' right or left hand, to the apostle of love, who wrote 1 John, who in 1 John said, Beloved, let's love one another. Love is from God, and it, everyone that loves knows God and is born of God. How did John go from the guy who wanted to be on top to the guy who was willing to go low? to love. Thomas. Jesus renovated Thomas. He changed him from the doubter to the one who planted the, uh, the gospel in India. And even today in India, the Christian church looks back to Thomas as the one who brought the gospel to India. And I stood across the street from where his tomb is today amazing and then Matthew and Simon the zealot transformed from political enemies to co-laborers in the kingdom of God see God wants to make you become something that you're not just like he made these men become something that they were not all of these guys just like all of us, were held, captor, were held captive in the strong man's house. The strong man, Jesus refers to in Mark 3, is Satan. All of us and all of them were held captive in Satan's house. We are the spoils that Satan had won to himself and was storing away. gospel tells us that a stronger man came into the house to bind him up and to plunder his spoils. Mark 3, 27, Jesus said, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods 
unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus came into the strong man's house as a weak little baby. Jesus bound the strong man by the word of God those 40 days in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan and he resisted by the word of God. And as Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, Jesus disarmed the rule and authority of the strong man and put him to open shame by triumphing over him in the cross. You see, friends, the way we can become the new community of Jesus is because the stronger man has come to take the spoils from the strong man. You and I are those spoils. And Jesus is not quite done yet making us what he wants us to become. And then Mark goes on to show us that those who know Jesus as the stronger man and submit to his will to be renovated, to make them become something they're not, they, they are the ones who become the true family of Jesus. Mark said, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus' will is to make us become something we're not. He is the king of a new creation. And so my question for myself and you is, are we sharing in God's deep gladness in his making us new? Are we sharing in God's deep gladness even though it's painful for him to make us new? Because later in Mark chapter 8 and even later in Philippians chapter 3, Paul will agree with Jesus and say that what it feels like to be made like Jesus, it feels like being crucified on a cross. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This renovation project feels like death. So it's the will of King Jesus to make us new creations, but it's also the will of Jesus to do that as we live inside a new community. This hot mess we call the church. And so I have to ask myself, and I ask you, am I sharing in God's deep gladness to renew me into someone who loves being a part of his new family and who loves those who belong to his family? Now, this is where... This is where Jesus has hammered on me this week, in the last few weeks. He's been doing some renovation. Do I love God's people? Oh, sure, I love a bunch of them, but there may be one or two that are a little difficult. And so I read Philippians chapter 2 this week. And... Uh, Jesus took out his demolition, demolition equipment. 
Paul says, and we read it earlier, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, if there's any comfort from love, and there is, if there's any participation in the Spirit, and there is, any affection and sympathy in Christ, and there is, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love for one another. Be in full accord. That sounds like something Jesus prayed. And of one mind, that sounds like something Jesus prayed in John 17. And then Paul has the audacity to say this to me, who has, a tr- has trouble loving someone who is one of his people that I don't think is as good at being one of his people as I am. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? And then, then he does this thing. He's like, no, don't remind me of what Jesus did for me, who's not as significant as him. Don't remind me of what Jesus did for me, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Loving each other as God's new community feels like dying on a cross. You can pray for me because for everybody in this room, eh, that doesn't seem too hard. (laughs) But just like you, I've got people in my life that it will kill me to count them as more significant than myself. That's exactly what Jesus wants to do. Because unless I know the fellowship of his sufferings, I will never know the power of his resurrection. My struggle to offer that same self-sacrificing love for people that Jesus has shown me is driving me deeper into Jesus. drives us to this table. This table which says, hey, all of you, including the pastor, who are not nearly as significant as Jesus, Jesus counted counted you more significant than himself. Came in the flesh, entered the strong man's house, bound the strong man by his obedient life, and disarmed the strong man on the cross, rose again in power as the king of a new creation and a new community 
and he calls you to join him on that journey. Not to know him in a way that makes him what you want him to become, but to know him in a way that you say, Lord, you make me what you want me to become, whatever it takes. Father, would you come and help us to embrace this Jesus who wants to renovate us. Would you come and help us to trust his good heart, his loving heart for us, that even though it's painful, the renovation is good. He's making us like him. And this table reminds us of that. This table enables us to commune with him, to be strengthened by him for that process of renovation. So would you come, Holy Spirit, meet us. Jesus, meet us. Strengthen your people. Help us. We need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.